Good morning, Redemption Tempe. My name is Will Vakurvich, pastor of local and global engagement. I'm excited to dive in with you guys in our study of the book of John this morning. We'll be looking specifically at John chapter one, verses four through nine. And in this passage, we'll see that John is introducing these themes of light and darkness. We all know that light and darkness are themes that resonate deeply with us whether it's the kids' nightlight uh, to make them feel safe at bedtime, or maybe a campfire when, you, when we're outdoors camping, we know that light makes us feel safe and protected. When I got married to my wife almost 11 years ago, one of the big transitions that I had to get used to was um, I never slept with a nightlight, and my wife likes to have a light on while she sleeps. Most of the time, uh, especially early on in marriage, this was something I had to like, you know, throw a blanket over my head or do something to create enough darkness for me to sleep. But there was one night in particular, actually about a year ago, where I was so thankful for the light in our room. It was about one o'clock in the morning and I had rolled over in my sleep and felt a little pinch in my back. I wasn't sure what it was, so I, I jumped up, ran into the bathroom and turned on the light and I could see a little pinprick of blood. In that time, going from the bed to the bathroom to look in the mirror, it went from a little pinch in my back to feeling like somebody had started pouring lava into my back. I quickly told my wife, turn on the light, something's in the bed, I just got bit or stung by something. She flipped the light on and to our surprise, we saw a scorpion crawling across our mattress. Now, after I grabbed the nearest sandal and smashed the thing to death, we realized how thankful we were to be able to turn that light on and see what was going on in the darkness. The darkness veiled what had caused injury and we needed the light to shine to show what was the danger that was lurking on our mattress in our bed. It did take a couple more weeks for me to feel comfortable crawling into bed and not tearing you know, the pillows and the sheets and blankets apart to try to find if there were any more scorpions lurking in the darkness. But we get it, we get this idea of light and dark. It's something that resonates deep within all of us. Light feels safe, dark feels unsure. We, we don't know what's out there, we're uncertain. And so John taps into this imagery and we'll see this throughout his gospel. We'll see how he elevates Jesus as the light. In a few chapters, we'll see that Nicodemus, who's cynical and doubting, will come to him under the cover of darkness. In the very next chapter, Jesus visits the woman at the well in light, and she receives him in the middle of the daytime with glad and open arms. It, towards the end of the gospel, we'll see that Jesus is betrayed and arrested at nighttime in the darkness. We see even as, at his crucifixion, though it's daytime, darkness will cover the land. And then ultimately, spoiler alert, when Jesus rises from the dead, when he overcomes the power of death, we'll see this beautiful early dawn morning, this sunrise bursting forth on a, a new day of creation, a new day of reality as Jesus has overcome the powers of sin. So we'll see this light and dark imagery continue to unfold. But let's dive into our text for today, starting in John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So what John is saying here is that in Jesus was life. In this act of creation, he is giving life. And this life is the light of men. Now, think with me. If you've experienced some of John's other writings, like in the book of 1 John, one of the things that John tells us in John, uh, 1 John 1, 5 is that God is light. The very essence and nature of who he is is light not darkness. Way back in Genesis chapter one, as we see God beginning to create everything, we know that, that God was present and, and that God was speaking creation into existence. 
the first thing that God says is, let there be light. So God shares of his very self in order for creation to begin. God is the very basis and foundation, the blank canvas, if you will, speaking the light into existence so that all of creation could be painted or could come into existence. Uh, so think through this. Without light, there is no photosynthesis, there's no plant life. Without plant life, there's no animal life. Without plant and animal life, humans would have nothing to eat, therefore there would be no humanity. God's generous act of sharing light, who John says God is light, is how creation comes to be. It's the landscape upon which God will build everything. God's generosity, his willingness to share himself with us is the very foundation upon which all of creation is built. So the first discussion question we'll talk about is, what are some activities or things that you do or participate in that would be impossible or at least really, really difficult without light? The next thing John tells us in John 1, 5 is this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I wanna call our attention to two things here. Ultimately, we're seeing that Jesus is brighter than the darkness. Jesus is brighter than the darkness. But notice first where this light is. John tells us that the light shines in the darkness. There's a proximity here. It's almost this foreshadowing of what will happen in the incarnation when Jesus puts on flesh and dwells among us, which we'll hear about in a few weeks. 
But we have this idea that in the midst of creation, God is there in the presence of the chaos, of the darkness, of the turbulent waters and all of that, and he's speaking light. He's ordering things. He's creating space and opportunity for life to thrive. And it's the same image here. In the midst of the darkness, the light of Jesus is shining. It's not running away from the darkness. We don't see Jesus in his ministry shying away from those who are unclean or those who are um, quote-unquote sinful or those who are pushed to the margins of society as if they would somehow contaminate him. No, Jesus is the light which overcomes the darkness. When my family first started going to church, one of the first sermons we heard preach was on this very subject. And the pastor gave this illustration that has stuck with me ever since I was in eighth grade many, many years ago. He talked about working in his office. He talked about walking into his office early in the morning when it was still dark outside and he would, he would flip the light on and sitting down at his desk and he was pulling something out of his drawer and he realized that as his drawer was shut in his desk, it was dark. When he slid the, door, the drawer open, it's not as though that darkness would overcome the light and somehow dim the light in the room. No, the reality is the light fills up the darkness. It illuminates the darkness. No matter how dark the space that you're in may be, when you light the candle, the candle shines. The candle illuminates, it lights things up. I love this word overcome here. As I began to, to research and learn more definitions, it's like each one kind of unfolded this nuance for me of understanding. So one of the ways that we could understand um, this word overcome is it could be translated understood. So the darkness has not understood the light. It can't comprehend it. I know for, for a long time as, you know, my family would send me to church, I would go to youth group, I would hear these messages, but it was like, it didn't make sense. And then all of a sudden there was this moment of like, aha, this epiphany or, or God broke in his light into my darkness and I understood. There was that moment of conversion. Another way to understand this word overcome, it was actually used in, in uh, early Greek Olympic wrestling. And this word for overcome was what they would use to describe a takedown when one opponent was able to drive the other one to the ground. So it's this idea of physical force and domination. So the darkness has not overcome, has not taken down or dominated the light. The light of Jesus is more powerful. It shines brighter. The light is brighter than the darkness. A final way to understand this would be the idea of an eclipse or, or a candle that has been quenched or extinguished. The light of Jesus has not been quenched. It's not been eclipsed. The darkness is, has not come between the, the light and us. There is nothing separating, nothing uh, extinguishing it or, or, or quenching this light out. Even at the darkest moment of this gospel, when we see Jesus crucified, we know that a, a new day is coming. It is dark and hopeless as it may feel, as thick and overwhelming as the darkness may feel, we know that the light still shines. We know that there is still hope just on the other side. As difficult as experiencing 2020 has been for us, as believers, we can still see the hope of the bright light of Jesus shining and leading us forward. So the question that I'd like us to talk about here is where in your life do you still see darkness? It may be something you're experiencing personally, 
something in your family or, or group of friends, something in our community, or even nationally or globally? Where are the areas of darkness that are still waiting for the light of Jesus to be revealed? Spend a few moments talking about this. Okay, we see John continue in verses six through eight. He says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Some theologians and commentators would call John the Baptist the prototype disciple or the first model of what disciples will look like. And uh, for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, we continue in this lineage, identifying as the people of God because he has adopted us into his family. So when we learn about John the Baptist, we can actually learn some really insightful things about who we are and what we are called to be. Primarily, we see that we are called to reflect the light or to bear witness. This was the primary job that John had was to witness. Now, when I came to faith in junior high and in high school, I would hear my youth group leaders talking about the importance of witnessing. And coming from a kid who didn't grow up in the church at first, I wasn't really sure what that term meant. And what I came to learn in that environment was that witnessing was something like if you mix like a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of a used car salesman and a little bit of an infomercial on TV and mix them all together and then you write a script from that, that's what witnessing is. So it would try to set up like these, you know, no good answer questions or uh, even borderline on manipulative sometimes in order to convince people that they need needed to come to the church and they needed to say a prayer to accept Jesus into their hearts and then everything would be happy forever and ever. As I grew in my faith and in my experience, I realized one, 
That put a ton of pressure on me and I hated it. Two, I always felt like awkward and gimmicky, like if you just say you're a sinner, then you can accept Jesus, but wait, there's more. You get to go to heaven forever and ever. And it somehow always felt inauthentic. Now hear me, God moved through that. God grew my faith and trust in him through those awkward encounters. The, this, the church in North America has grown through things like this. I'm not trying to discredit that. But what I'm trying to say is that is just a, a slice or a fraction, uh, a shade of what this word witness is actually calling us to be. I'm not trying to bash the church that I grew up in. But what we see here is that this language is the language of a courtroom, a language of, of a witness who comes, takes the stand to testify to what they have in, experienced in their own lives. Their job is not to spin the truth or, or paint it more flattering or, or more appealing than it actually is. They are to bear witness to their experience. Think of the words in Amazing Grace. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This is what my life was like before Jesus. And now this is what my life is like with Jesus. I don't have to convince anyone. I just have to share my experience of how the Spirit has transformed my life. This is what John the Baptist is doing. You will see this in the next few weeks of how he's bearing witness to who Jesus is, to, to his experience and understanding of what Jesus has done and will do. That's what we're called to. The missiologist, somebody who studies church mission, Leslie Newbegin describes it this way. God reveals himself to us, not through the skylight, but through the front door. What he means in this illustration is this. God reveals himself to us, not in these holy epiphany moments where we're by ourselves in this, you know, beam of light comes down from heaven and illuminates us. And we have this one-on-one -on -one individual experience with God that changes everything. God reveals himself to us rather than the skylight through the front door. People come in, humans, maybe they're friends or, or family members. They come and they share a story with us, a story of how they met Jesus and how Jesus changed their life. Maybe they share the story of scripture of how God created everything good and sin has distorted all of that and God started this plan of redemption that was ultimately carried out in the, the work and the person of who Jesus is, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his um, resurrection from the grave, his sharing of the spirit with his early followers who created his early church. The spirit that has empowered his, his believers, his followers throughout generations until us here in response to this message today. This is not an isolated individual experience with God. Our faith is a communal faith. Even if you were, I don't know, somehow locked in, in solitary confinement somewhere with no other humans around, but you received a Bible and that's how you learned about who Jesus is. That Bible is in your hands because of the faithful response of brothers and sisters throughout the ages who have carried that book down who have carried these teachings down. Our faith is not an isolated faith. Our faith is a communal faith. We rely on brothers and sisters to point out sins in our lives, to encourage us when we're feeling discouraged, 
to remind us of the gospel when we're believing other things. This is what it means to bear witness. Not that we have to go out alone like, like special agents, James Bond or Rambo or something like that. No, we're called as a community to bear witness, to reflect what God is like, to reflect who Jesus is, to demonstrate what his coming kingdom will look like here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, notice with me, it says that John himself was not the light. Think of it, uh, us as a church, we are not the lamp, Rather, we are the mirror which reflects the light. We don't generate the light within ourselves. We're, we're pretty good, but we're not that great. Uh, aside from Jesus and the empowerment of his spirit, we are, are sinners who are lost. We have nothing to offer. But as he fills us, as the spirit moves us along and empowers us to bear witness, that's what gives spark and light to this movement of Jesus and his kingdom throughout generations. The light doesn't originate within us. We just reflect it. We're not the lamp, we're the mirror. We're not the sun, we're the moon. And so uh, as we think through this, I'd like you guys to take a moment to discuss this question. How have you, in your life or in your experience, how have you seen Jesus overcome darkness? Now, we don't have a ton of time, so just take a few moments with the folks that you're with or maybe in your journal and, and share your thoughts about some ways that you have seen Jesus overcome the darkness. All right, as you guys have borne witness about who Jesus is and what he has done, I'd like to leave this section with a quote for, from one of the early church fathers from North Africa. His name was Cyprian. Cyprian says this, no one can have God for his father 
who does not have the church for his mother. No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. This, as I've said, is not an individual faith. It is a communal faith. We are connected to one another through the blood of Christ. And this leads us well into our next verse. As John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, John is foreshadowing this incarnation of Jesus, which he'll get to later in the prologue. He, he's letting us know that Jesus is going to be coming into the world. But as believers on the other side of that event in history, we know that Jesus is coming back into the world. He is returning and restoring and reconciling all things. He's bringing heaven back to earth. He's establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And as John tells us here, this light of Jesus is for all men, is for all people. We are called to share this light for all people, not just for folks who are like us, but for folks who are different than us, because that's what the kingdom will look like. John tells us at the end of our scriptures in the book of Revelation that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation present, worshiping God in his fullness when Jesus reunites heaven and earth. This is what we have to look forward to. And church, this is what we begin to experience here today. This call of Jesus, this light that goes forth out into the darkness, that it cannot be overcome by the darkness, is for everyone. It's, it's for those of us who feel like they don't fit in in the church. Uh, maybe you didn't grow up in the church like me, you've come to faith later in life, or maybe this is something you're just considering and you don't know all the references, you don't know all the passages. When the pastor says, remember the song we all used to sing in Sunday school? You're like me and you scratch your head and say, I didn't sing any songs in Sunday school because I didn't go to Sunday school. This light is for you. Maybe you're the person who has grown up in the church and you feel like you know everything, you know all the cliched answers, but you have never felt Jesus in your heart. This light of Jesus invites you into a deeper knowledge and understanding and experience of who he is. Maybe because of uh, uh, some of your experiences in your life or, or um, choices that you've made, you feel like there's no way you could be welcomed in. Folks, the light of Jesus welcomes you in. Maybe you used to walk closely with Jesus and something happened and then another thing and then another thing. And now you find yourself so far away from the light. The good news is the light stands in sharp contrast to the darkness. That light is still signaling. That's still that front porch light that when you pull up to the house, you know someone is waiting to open the doors with open arms and welcome you in. This light is for you. This light is for all of us. This light is for those of us who have felt depression and anxiety as we don't know what to do with COVID. This light is for you. This light is for those of us who have struggled through everything our nation has been going through over the last few months. Tensions with race and politics and division and you don't even know how you can have conversations with friends or family anymore. There is a light that unites all of us. This light is for you too. This light is for all men. This light is the light of Jesus who gave of himself, not only for our creation, but also for our salvation. This light welcomes. It calls us like a beacon, uh, like a lighthouse showing where the danger is and where the safe harbor is. This light is for all of us. 
And so as we transition from, from our time in the word into our time of, of communion and worshiping through song, think about this light, this light who put on flesh, this light who made himself vulnerable and dwelt among us, walked around on earth in specific locations at a specific time in history, this light of the world who was a real person, this light who lived a sinless life and who shared of himself. That's why we take the crackers. We remember his very flesh that he gave for us. And the juice or the wine, which represents his blood that he willingly shed on our behalf so that all could be welcome. So that all would have a seat at the table when he comes back and we get to celebrate. And we don't need to wear face masks and we don't need to socially distance and we don't need to worry about political preference. We don't need to worry about any of those things when he returns. We will truly be united as one, enjoying, worshiping, celebrating in the light of who Jesus is.